head's a little spinning because you get singing that and you get into it and whoo! And uh, probably my favorite Christmas song right there. Doesn't get much better than that. I love that last verse. Christ is the Lord and praise His name forever. Book of Ephesians is where we are tonight, and we'll take our Bibles there. If you got your notes, if anyone needs a copy of the notes, they're in the foyer on the baptistry over there. We'll dive right in tonight and uh, see where we'll get to. And uh, a while back, we did a whole series through the whole book of Ephesians, and we were in the book of Ephesians for a very long time. And so tonight, I took that into account. So I try, I'm trying tonight to give you something a little different, still from the book, so that way... Well, actually, I probably could have just preached everything I've done before because no one remembers what I... Anybody remember what the sermon was about Sunday morning? Anybody? Don't raise your hand. Don't make me feel bad that no one can remember. But um, I want to give you some... Isaiah, that was good. Someone said Isaiah. And so what part of Isaiah? Seven, the virgin birth, the virgin birth. Good, I remembered now. So since I remembered, I, I expect you to remember. Just kidding, just kidding. But um, this coming weekend, on Sunday morning, we're finishing our series on The Light Has Come, the book of Isaiah, and it's going to be a unique Christmas message. We're going to be in Isaiah 53, and look at how he came in our place. And so we'll be closing out our series there, and then Sunday night, we're going to continue on the book of Romans, and we're going to talk about why the wrath of God, and uh, we'll look at that in Romans chapter number one. And then next Wednesday night, so the 23rd will be our candlelight service, and so that will be at 6.30, and we're doing it on the 23rd, and so that will be a special service, and I have the candles just about all ready to go, so we'll be in good shape there, and uh, so it's always a special service, and then the week after that, it'll be New Year's, can you believe that, and then we'll be into 2021, and it's, everything's going to be so different come January, no, that probably not, and uh you hear what they, they were saying the other day, even when you get two doses of the vaccine, you still got to wear a mask for a long time because you could still, they said, so one of the doctors, you could still get it. Like, then why would I get the vaccine? And so that makes a lot of sense right there. And so the Lord knows he's in control. I um, normally, by October, I have a theme for the year all picked out. And we are two weeks away from the new year, and the Lord finally gave me clarification today. So now I got to get busy with a calendar and get busy with a few. Wait, a calendar? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna plan. We're gonna pray that 2021 we get to do the things on the calendar. Now, some of you are like the calendar always changes. Main dates most of the time don't. So keep the calendar, keep it on your fridge close to you because that's where whatever is near and dear to your heart that you're at a lot. The fridge is a good spot for most Christians there, and so that works out good. And so, but I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to do in 2021 and what our church is going to do. And as we continue to move forward for the Lord, this coming Saturday in the morning from 8.30 to about 12, um, I mentioned several of you said you're going to be able to help. We're going to go to a, um, a local food pantry. It's a Christian food pantry. And we're going to be serving people that day as in helping them. They're coming for groceries. There'll be some Christmas presents. We're passing that stuff out and helping them. And so, and then we can help people go take it to their cars and we can pray with them and talk to them about the gospel. And so we'll be doing that this coming Saturday. I could still use a couple more adults for that. So if you're interested, see me. And those of you who got to me already, I will send you the address. We meet there at 8.30 and then we'll get started right away. And that'll be a good thing. And I'm excited. Um, through COVID, the family, they sit about four rows back over here. 
um, Albert and his wife and their daughter Carla, and uh, Cindy's his wife's name, and they um, they run that food pantry. And so they go to another church. Their church hasn't opened, and, and they've been coming here. So that's been a blessing to get to know them. But I didn't realize I got to go and just be a part. I got to go see how it all works. And I love it when people are lined up, and you know you got your socially distant lines right now and all of that, but they have the gospel verses of the gospel just lining the walkways. People come in to get their food and everything. And uh, so once we get into the new year, I want you to think about it, and those of you who go will be able to be a testament to this. I think I'd like our church to support that and be a part of that here in town. It's a local Christian thing, so you can think about that, and those who help, you can get a look around and then report back to the church. We'll talk about that in the new year sometime, just so you know. Book of Ephesians tonight. The book of Ephesians is a powerful book. We've studied it, and we went through the entire book. I think the best way to describe the book of Ephesians is the fact that the gospel changes everything. Tonight, as we get through the beginning of the message and I get into the second half of the message, I'm going to be a little hard tonight. It's a Wednesday night, I know, and you like me to be hard. You, I don't know if you ever like me being hard, but there's got to be... There's, we as the people of God got to wake up to things, and we got to live for God, and we need to be a good testimony to everyone around us, and the gospel should change our behaviors. The first three chapters of the book talk doctrinally in our stand in the Lord, and then because of that, this is how we're to live. Paul does that over and over again in his books. We're in Romans on Sunday nights. You'll notice the first 11 chapters of Romans are very doctrinal. And then chapter 12 changes. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. He goes from doctrinal to the practical side. That's how Paul is. And so, and that's kind of how you can tell the books that Paul writes, because he always has the same setup there. And that's why some people will talk about, well, the book of Hebrews, did Paul write it or not? Paul could have, but it doesn't quite flow the way the other Paul books do. It's just an interesting thing. But when we get to heaven, I'll ask who wrote it, and then I'll be like, duh, the Lord did. I knew that already, but who was the human off, the human, human pen? But tonight, I'm going to go and give you different things from this book than what I've given you in the past. So just join in with me as we go. You're in Ephesians 1. We'll be there in a minute. I want to give as way of introduction. I want to give you six quick thoughts, and we'll dive in tonight. Number one is this. The book is one of four prison epistles written. Co- he, he did these all at the same time. Well, he was imprisoned in Rome. And the four books, the other three, so you got um, Ephesians. Anybody want to take a guess on the other three? Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. It's in your notes right there, isn't it? Yeah, so I was just seeing if anybody was reading their notes or not. But those were the four that Paul wrote while he was in prison. So this is, and he wrote them all simultaneously, concurrently is the way I worded it there. And so number two is, this book was hand-delivered by Tychicus. And if you could say, Ryan, how would you say that? Would you say it like that, Tychicus? <laughs> how would you say it? Let's just hear how you would say it. Tychicus, see? I taught you tonight. Anyways, that's good. And so it was, this, it was hand-delivered by Tychicus to the saints at Ephesus and other Christians that were in that region. We see that right away in the beginning of the book here. And when we think about the city of Ephesus, I gave you a couple weeks ago in your notes, I gave you a paper that mapped out all the letters, all the churches that Paul wrote to, and so you can see where it's found. And uh, it's a port city and it, in modern-day Turkey. 
And so it was the epicenter for worship for the Greeks. And when you just think about that and Roman gods, Ephesus had theaters, libraries, a school of philosophy. They had the temple of the goddess Diana, which was one of the seven wonders of the world during that time. It was a very wicked city. And yet there was a church here. We think about this, the fourth thing is Paul visited this church during his second missionary journey. And he spent nearly three years in Ephesus, more than any other place in his ministry. And in fact, you could read in the book of Acts, it tore, tore him up inside that he had to leave. He loved this church. And what happened was when he left, one of his sons in the ministry, Timothy, stayed at least another year and a half or longer, and was the pastor there. And so when Paul's writing this, he's probably writing it to Timothy as he was pastoring there, and we see all of that. And uh, the fifth thing is this, the church at Ephesus is also mentioned by Christ in the book of Revelation. And the Lord had a problem with the church at Ephesus, the fact that they had left their first love. You know, they were still doing all the things, they were serving, they did the things, they tried to do their, keep their doctrine right, do all these different things, but they left their first love. And may it just be a reminder for us tonight as we dive into the message, your first love is the Lord. Don't ever lose sight of that. He is. Not the ministry that you're in. He is. Don't ever lose sight of that. Sometimes we get so caught up in everything around us and what we do, that we lose sight of what's most important. And more important than anything that we do is that we love God. We're getting to the close of the year. I wonder tonight, those of you sitting in the room or those maybe watching online tonight, do you love God? I taught the teenagers tonight, youth group, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's it. Fear God. Honor, respect him. And then keep his commandments. Love him with everything you have, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole duty. That's your whole job. That's what you've been called to do. As we close out 2020, how are you doing with what you've been called to do? Do you honor God by the way you live? Do you love him? And do you love your neighbor? That's your whole job. That's our job. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Sounds easy, but that's hard living right there. And so we'll continue on. And then Ephesus number six has been called both the crown jewel and the grand canyon of the New Testament because of the depiction of the beauty, the depth, the breadth of God's plan of love, mercy, and salvation. The outline tonight is very simple, and I'm going to break down probably more of the second half of the outline than I am the first part of the outline tonight. But if, we're, if I would give you the outline, number one, we would see the gospel story. The gospel story. I, um, this book, the book of Ephesians, changed me a lot. I've been a Christian a very long time. I've grown up in very strong, independent Baptist churches. And sometimes we get this idea that our performance helps our standing with the Lord. And it's not always meant that way, 
but it does come out that way. Like there's things I can do to make God love me more. And that's so false. My standing is settled in him. It's all about Christ. If you notice all throughout the beginning, the first three chapters, it's all about Christ and what he did. And you go through all of it. I love, and we went through before, and I'm not going to go through all of it tonight, but verse 3, blessed be the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, before in him in Christ again. You see, it's Christ. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, before he said, let there be light, before he separated the darkness and the light, before he brought form to the earth, he chose you. Think about that one. Not because we are something special, but he chose us because he loved us. The Bible says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And look at verse number seven. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Verse 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the first three chapters focus on the heavenly work of the gospel of Christ. And your standing tonight in Christ, who you are, is all in Him. That's what it's all about. There's nothing you did that helped you. He did it all. Well, I trusted him. Okay, you can say that. But you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Doesn't chapter 2 start there? We were dead. So how can a dead man trust in the Lord? How do you get faith if you're dead? Look what the Bible says about us in chapter 2. And you have he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, According to this prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the, our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Say, so, well, I trusted in him. That's strong words. The Bible tells in those next verses the fact that, but God, who's rich in mercy, wherewith he lo- with his great love, wherewith he loved us. You go even further down the chapter, and you look at verse number eight, and for by grace, now look at this, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Look at the verse there. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Grace, but the faith also. Because a dead person can't have faith. Faith and grace are a gift from God to us. Think about that. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible tells us we are his workmanship. Creating Christ Jesus and the good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The gospel story impacts our story. His working in our lives should change the works of our lives. 
And then chapter number 3 and verse number 6, we see the fact, the Bible says, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And we see this just wasn't for the Jews. This is for all people, for everybody. Then we see the end of uh, chapter number 3. We see Paul's prayer for the church. And we see that closes the gospel story, the first three chapters. Then you notice chapter 4, verse number 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. You see how Paul does it? He goes from giving us the gospel and the doctrine behind it to now giving us the practical. What ties the beginning of the book to the end of the book? The word therefore. Remember Sunday morning? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Remember Ahaz didn't want the sign? The therefore connected that together. The word therefore there connects the two together for the full book of Ephesians. Paul changes direction from doctrine to the practical side of it. And when we think about this, we got number one in our outline tonight, the gospel story. Then number two, we have our story. Number two, our story. Our story. That's chapters four through chapter number six. Because of everything that God has done for you, this is what Paul's saying. Let me break this down into today's language for you. Because of what God's done for you, I'm begging you that you would allow the gospel to change every part of you. That's what Paul's saying right here. After all that he's done, how he chose you before the foundation of the world, how you've been adopted into his family, how he redeemed you through his blood, so how you've been, a, how you've been accepted in the beloved, the fact that you went from a dead man to a saved, alive man, I beg you to let the gospel change the way you live. And that's what Christianity needs today. Christians don't live differently than this world. We've seen it a lot over the past several months. We see most Christians just like everybody else. And that's not how God intended for it to be. You see, because of the gospel, the gospel should change everything in our lives. I want to give you four ways the gospel should change us. Number one or letter A, whatever it is on your notes there, we see a story of unity. A story of unity. We see that from chapter 4, verse number 1 through verse number 16. Look at what it says in verse number 2. It says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endure, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You think about this as we look at the gospel should change our spirit. We should be able to get along with the people of God. That's what the Bible tells us right here. There's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, and there's one God. Because of the work of God, Christians should live in unity with one another. You should get along with your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. The church should not be defined by the schisms that appear 
or by strife or envying that takes place. All of us have different gifts. We have different personalities. We have different backgrounds. We have different stories. And we're all brought together by the one Lord that unifies us all. And that's how it should be. Now, when we think about that, you got to understand unity doesn't mean uniformity. We look at verse number um, 11 of chapter 4. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. I like how one pastor said it, we don't have to be twins to be brothers. Someone doesn't have to do it just like you to be unified. That's the beauty of how the Lord works. He could take 12 fishermen, well, several fishermen, a tax collector, and we go through the list of all different guys, and they had unity. How the Lord, but we, when we think about our story, our story should be a story of unity. You know, it doesn't mean uniformity. And then unity is a sign of spiritual maturity as well. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You know, Paul said it a few weeks ago when I gave that sermon that I heard people were still talking about not that long ago. Don't worry, I'll preach that sermon again if I ever have to out of 1 Corinthians. But Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people because you're carnal, because you can't get along with one another. That's what it comes down to. You, I, don't, I don't see spiritually mature people fighting with one another and not having unity. And Paul says, I beg of you, the gospel, let the gospel change you. So our story goes, it's a story of unity. Letter B, it's a story of purity. Chapter 4, verse 17 to chapter 5 and verse number 21. The gospel should change our lives. The gospel should change our actions. The gospel should change our fruit. The gospel should change the externals, our walk, our talk, our thoughts, our actions. This is where we in Christianity get backwards. If I do this, then I can, be, do, I can become more spiritual. We focus on all the external things. That's not how it's supposed to be. You see, you aren't supposed to change you because you didn't do a good job before you got saved. You will never change you. Too many Christians spend their time trying to change themselves, and you're just beating your head against the wall. You're never going to change yourself. Oh, but I'm trying. You're never going to. And you can try, and you can try, and you can try, and you can try. It's never going to work. You need the Spirit of God. The gospel changes us. The Holy Spirit changes us, not us. And we see that in these verses. Though you could look at verse 17 of chapter number 4. The Bible says, This I say that in testifying the Lord, that ye, wa that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And we go down to verse number 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness 
and true holiness. And you see, we look and there's two different things. You've got the old man and you've got the new man. When you get saved, the new man comes in. And we all like the new man or the new woman. We'll put it that way too for you. The Lord's referring to either. And um, the new man, we like the new man. The new man does what God likes the new man to do. But then the honeymoon period ends at some point. Sometimes it ends the first day. Sometimes it ends a year or two later. And then the old man's like, I've had enough of this. I'm ready to be in control again. And that old man loves to rear its ugly head at awful times. Someone cuts you off on the road. You moron! The old man wants to yell and point fingers. The new man says, just calm down, relax. It's all good. You've cut someone off before, and they were nice to you. You can be nice to this person. The old man wants to lie. And the new man says, we speak the truth. We don't lie. The old man gets angry. The new man says, we need to have peace. The old man says, I'm going to steal. The new man is generous and doesn't steal. The old man gossips. The new man wants to encourage. The old man wants revenge. The new man wants forgiveness. The old man wants wickedness. The new man wants purity. That's the battle that we all face every single day. Because I know there are Christians out there that think once I get saved, the old man's done. And that's a load of baloney. The old man is still there. And he does, do you know when you get to take off the old man? When you take your last breath here on earth. Then the old man is done. And I can't wait for the old man Brian to be done. The old man Brian makes me sick every day and gets me in a lot of trouble over and over again. The old man does the things they should. But the Bible tells us here, you need to put off the old man and put on the new man. It's a decision that's made. It's a decision. But the decision comes down to this, and you could read through chapter number five. Are you listening to the spirit or are you listening to the old man? Do you listen to the new man or do you listen to the old man? And you know it. You can think with me tonight. When you're sinning, there are times where you just that old man just gets going. And you just keep doing it. And how do you finally stop when the new man just says that's enough? Are you filled with the Spirit or are you not? That's what it comes down to. The Bible says in chapter number 5 there, see that you walk circumspectly. And then it goes into that we're supposed to redeem the time because the days are evil. And the Bible says, wherefore, be not unwise, but understand what the will of, what's God's will for us. Verse 18 of chapter 5, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The only thing that will change you and I for the better is the Spirit of God. You will never do it on your own. We see that in this passage. We see a story here. We see a story of unity, a story of purity. We look at verse number, look at verse number 11 and 12 of chapter number 5. It says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Whew, that might change what you watch on television. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, you'd say, Pastor, you're going to know about what I watch? Yeah, the you're supposed to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It's a shame to even speak of them. That might change your internet browsing history. Because a Christian, the gospel changes us. The gospel changes us, and our story should be a, a story of unity, not division. But if we're not filled with the Spirit, we're going to have division. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Our story should be a story of purity and not wickedness. That's only going to happen as we let God work and let the Spirit work in our lives. And then let her see a story of harmony. A story of harmony. The gospel should, you think about this, the gospel should not only bring unity, the gospel should also change all of our actions, but the gospel should change all of our relationships in life. It's very important. You look at chapter number 5 and you read the end of chapter number 5 through the beginning of chapter number 6, and there's a lot mentioned there. We look at chapter 5, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, and then it talks about wives submitting yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Most women don't like that verse, but it's there. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Say, well, why am I supposed to submit to my husband? Because God told you to. A lot of women don't like that. So maybe they shouldn't, maybe Eve shouldn't have eaten the fruit. That's what it goes back to. That's why God placed the man as the head of the home and not the woman. That was part of the punishment there. I don't know if I like that, Pastor. Well, God doesn't care what you like. God just says it how it is. But then we also see how a husband's supposed to be. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know something that's very interesting? And married couples, pick up on what I'm saying here tonight. If you're watching online, and uh, I hurt for a lot of our marriages in our church. A godly marriage, marriage should be a picture of the gospel. That's what it should be. Christ's love for the church and the church submitting to him. That's how God designed it to be. The wife pictures is a picture of the church, submits to her God-given leader and shows great love and respect. The husband, a picture of Christ, lives sacrificially and shows complete, unselfish love, living for the good of his wife. That's how God designed it to be. You see both, and you say, well, how, how could I ever do that? Well, it all begins with verse 21. You have to submit to one another. Look what it says in verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. It begins there. And then as we look at it, you think about it. If I have a car and I don't put oil in that car, eventually those gears are going to quit moving because they need oil to keep them moving well. Oil to a car is what submission is to a marriage. If there's no submission, there will not be a well-running machine. Let me ask you this tonight, husbands. Do people see the gospel of Christ in your marriage? 
if you're unkind to your wife, if you're impatient with your wife, if you're self-serving, if you're downgrading, you are not picturing Christ like you should, husband. Hey, wives, if you're nagging, unwilling to respect or submit to the authority of your husband, you're not a picture of Christ either and not what you should be in your marriage. You've got to understand something. Two key words in marriage for a wife, submission. As a Christian submits to God, it all starts with you submitting one another to God. And when I talk about submission, I'm not talking about a man throwing his hand down and saying, woman, do what I say. That's not submission, okay? And I think you understand that. If, I, if that's the way I live my life, I would have bruises from heels being thrown at me, and it just wouldn't work out very well. That's not what submission is. Study the Bible and look at servant leadership. That's what Christ was, and that's how it's supposed to be in the home. For a wife, the key word is submission. For a husband, the key word is sacrifice. If, and get this, and I'm not trying to hurt you or do anything here, but if your Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work anyplace else. Don't tell me you're a good Christian and you don't have a good marriage. They don't go together. It just doesn't. And then I hear people, well, it's just, it's my, it's my wife, it's her. It's, there's always two people, always. And in marriage, your job is not to find your spouse's and this is the thing, we sit here tonight, I know a lot of, I know everyone in this room, I know people that could be watching online and everything else, and there are times where it seems like it might be one spouse over the other. And when it, that's the case, you need to be, you need to just love God, keep moving forward, do your very best, but at the end of the day, you cannot change that other person, you can't. And I already mentioned it, you can't change you. You need the Holy Spirit of God to change you into what you need to become. And your spouse needs the Spirit of God to change them to become what they need to become. And if your spouse is not what they should be, you trying to fix them will not fix the problem. You need to let God change you. And maybe as God's changing you, he will change them. And there's a fine line with all that. And you say, well, what if there's abuse in the relationship? Don't ever stay in an abusive relationship. Don't. Don't. I don't think that was God's intent. And I hear, and, you know, I'll be the first one to say it. I'm not for divorce. But there are a few people in our church right now that are going through it. So what am I going to do? Kick them to the curb and say, you're an awful person because your marriage isn't working out. No, 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 no. They love God, and we just love them, and we move forward. But you do the best to let God change you. Too many times, husbands and wives are so concerned about the other person, they're not letting God change them. Let God change you. And if the other person won't change, that's, that's them. What can you do? And God knows us. I love that verse, he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we're dust. God knows we're not perfect. God knows we're not, God knows, men, you're not going to always act like Christ. In fact, even at your best, you're never going to even act like Christ then. God knows that the wife is not going to always be the submissive wife in areas that she should be. God understands all that. 
but we still got to do our best because you've got to understand marriage pictures the gospel. Marriage is a wonderful thing that God's given to us, and we as Christians, marriage should be something that we, that's promoted to this world of how wonderful it is. Our world attacks marriage as it is, be it same-sex marriage, everything else. And you hear people, same-sex marriage and all that. You know, in all honesty, in our country, they do have a right to be their thing. But let them find their own name for it. Don't call it marriage. They, no one gave them the right to redefine marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. That's how God designed it to be. But this world's trying its best to ruin marriage anyways, but we've got Christians who are making marriage look awful. Let's do our best in these areas. And so does the, does the Lord, do people see the gospel in your marriage? And as I mentioned, your Christianity, if it doesn't work at home, it's not going to work at all. And you see what other relationships does it go into? Not just the husband and wife, it goes into the children and parent relationship. And it talks about the fact how children, are there children listening to me right now? Children, are you listening to me? The gospel is meant to change you as well. Not just when you become an adult or when you get to a certain age, the gospel is meant to help you. And what are you supposed to do? Well, look at chapter six, verse number one. Children, everyone's like, whew, we're off of marriage. Good job. Let's talk about children now for a minute. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Not only should the husband and wife relationship be that of the gospel, but hey, kids, those of you who know the Lord and are saved, the gospel should change you. In what way? You should listen to your parents and obey them. You should honor them, respect them. That's what the gospel should do in your life. And then not only should it change the kids, but it should change mom and dad and how they rear their children. Verse 4 of the same chapter, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The gospel is supposed to change us in all of these areas. Changes the parent-child relationship. Kids are to honor and to obey. Action and attitude should be right. You got that, kids? Your actions and attitudes should be done, they should be right with mom and dad if you're letting the gospel, if you're letting the Holy Spirit work in your life. Parents should love and lead in the Lord with their children. The gospel changes our work relationships. People should notice a difference in your family. They should. They should see your family be like, there's something different about that family. They should notice something different in the way you work and where you work. Do, 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 do the people where you work know you're a Christian? Do they see something different about you? Be truthful in what you do. Be honest. I hear people cheating. I hear Christians cheating the system at their workplaces. Shame on you. You represent the king of kings. Shame on you for cheating. Shame and say, well, I can just do this and I can write it this way. It's called lying and stealing. Do things right. Be a Christian at work. Well, that's just a little plug there. 
at the end of the day, you and I are picturing what Christ has done for us. And that's what Paul's talking about. And we see in letter D about our story, it's a story of victory. Story of victory. The Christian life is a struggle. It's a battle. It takes things that are beyond our strength. You look at chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brothers, and that means Paul's rounding the finish line. He's getting to the end. You know, Paul, probably, Paul, Paul was a preacher long before me. I'm sure Paul kept going and going. People, he's ending his letter, so people know the letter's getting to the end. Finally, my brother, and be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You see that right there? Just look at that verse real close. Be strong in yourself. Be strong in your own power. No, 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 no. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I hear people say often, God won't give you more than you can handle. I don't know what Bible they read. I really don't. I've never found that in the Bible. I will tell you this, God won't give you more than he can handle. I think that's a better way of saying it. But he can handle a whole lot. Problem is we try to take care of it all on our own. Paul says, hey, we're getting to the end here. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Then it says you put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Church, our battle tonight's not with Gavin Newsom. It feels like it should be, but it's not. Not against Garcetti or any of those people or Biden or anybody like that. It's against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then, look what the Bible does here. He basically repeats again what he said in verse number 11. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Spiritual force, think about this. It takes beyond our strength to get victory. You cannot get victory in yourself. Doesn't the Bible say, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory? Through Jesus, and we could go even further into all that. But spiritual forces will seek to attack the unity that we have, the purity that we have, the harmony that we have. We need his help for victory. Victory is found in what? Well, think about the, think about the armor. It's found in truth. It's found in righteousness. It's found in the gospel of peace. It's found in the shield of faith. It's found in your salvation. It's found in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then one of the things that we normally leave out, but if you look at the end of verse 17, there's a colon there, which means the verse 18 is very important too. Prayer is vital. Prayer is vital in the Christian life. Has the gospel changed your story? Has the gospel changed your family? Has the gospel changed your spirit to other Christians? Has it changed your marriage? Has it changed your parent-child relationship? Has it changed your actions? Has it changed your entertainment? Has it changed your words? Has it changed your thoughts? We humans tend to think this, work harder and try harder. That's not how it is. God wants you to remember something from this book and understand something. 
Remember who you are in Christ. That's the gospel story. And then be aware that it's only the strength of the Holy Spirit that can change your story. That's what the book's all about. I went a little long tonight, so no video tonight. But the book of Ephesians, it'd be so good if you got a hold of it. Realize, and so many Christians, at the end of the day, are very insecure. If you would just study the first three chapters and see how much God loves you and how much he's for you, your insecurity would go away. Realize who you are in Christ. And then let that change the way that you live. Let the gospel change you. And it will, not in your own power, in his power. A lot of Christians come to me, like, Pastor, I don't like what's going on in my life. Like, I don't like what's going on in your life either. I don't like what goes on in my life a lot of times too. I'm trying to change it. That's the problem. You need to get to the one who can change it. You can't do it on your own. You need him. Don't ever forget it. He can change you. You can't change yourself. And maybe in your home, you need someone changed in your house. Pray that God changes them. Pray that God changes you into what he wants you.